2: Hello, I'm Natalia Shpilova-Saida. I'm a host of New Books in East European Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm delighted to speak today with Mikhailominakov Minakov, uh, Georgiy Kasyanov, and um, Matt Rajansky about the edited volume From the Ukraine to Ukraine, a Contemporary History, 1991-2021. Uh, the volume was published in 2021 by Ibidem Verlag, Stuttgart. Uh, let me introduce my Guests. Yuriy Kastyanov is head of the contemporary history and Politic- politics department at the Institute of the History of Ukraine, National Academy of Sciences of Ukraine. His main areas of expertise are the history of Ukraine in the 19th to 21st centuries, the history of ideas and political theories, memory studies, and education policy. He is the author, co-author, editor, and co-editor of more than two dozen books on these topics in Ukraine and abroad. Mikhaila Minakov, senior advisor at the Canon Institute of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, is a philosopher and social scholar working in the areas of political philosophy, political theory, and the history of modernity. Uh, Mikhail Minakov is also author and co-author of ten books and numerous articles on philosophy, political analysis, and policy studies. Matt Rajansky is director of the Cannon Institute of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars in Washington, D.C. Uh, he is an expert on U.S. relations with the states of the former Soviet Union, especially Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus. He's also an, an adjunct professor at Johns Hopkins, and he serves as U.S. Execu- executive Secretary for the Dartmouth Conference. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining me today. Hello. Well, first of all, congratulations on this uh, volume that covers the first three decades of uh, independent uh, Ukraine. So, the title of the book also reflects the change which can be described in political terms, as well as in geographical linguistic terms, in cultural and memory studies uh, terms from the Ukraine to Ukraine. Um, There are a lot of aspects to consider when presenting a history of the country during a certain period of time. What was the main narrative trajectory for your volume? Your volume starts with the introduction and uh, chapters that detail the political development of Ukraine right after the fall of the USSR. And then it gradually moves towards the discussion of identity politics and future prospects of Ukraine's development specifically the last chapter focuses on uh democracy in ukraine
3: well if i may uh, the idea was to look at ukraine not only through politics because this political niveau was very well known in uh, contemporary media so what we wanted is to tell the story about ukraine from different perspectives so these perspectives could have been either sectoral, also Politics, society, identity, contemporary culture, um, religion, democracy, you name it. But also we wanted to present perspective, the fusion of several perspectives. In, and in the first place, the fusion of American and Ukrainian or Western and European perspectives on Ukraine. So this is why we have at least two authors coming together, one from the West, one from Ukraine, who had to find common language. So this linguistic issue and the idea of dialogue was primary. So in a way, uh, Canon Institute uh, is running this Ukrainian program as support to the US-Ukraine dialogue. And here our authors had to find this dialogue and result with the
4: sections dedicated to sector.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Georgi, would you like to add anything to this?
4: sure I'd, I'd be happy to jump in, uh, Natalia I, I would absolutely echo what Misha said that you know the way that this volume was constructed is exactly a reflection of not only these 30 years, but one could even say, you know at this point almost five decades uh, because it goes back to the Soviet era, even of the Canon Institute working to connect scholars living in Ukraine. With scholars on Ukraine from outside, especially the United States, but not exclusively the United States, and so you know that's a very unique aspect of this volume that you have a kind of uh, dialogue of scholars attempting to come up with a narrative, but I think not always succeeding. We saw that in the editing process, and I think you even see some of it coming through in the final result to kind of narrow down to a single narrative. That that wasn't necessarily the objective, and then the second. You know, I, I would leave it to uh, Georgi to speak more to kind of the enterprise of contemporary history. I and mean, it's a very distinct uh, kind of uh, scholarly undertaking. But in this particular book, um, I feel that we have intentionally created uh, a dialogue of narratives rather than a single narrative with multiple speakers. And if you think about the way that other histories are told, uh, and, you know, I'm a student of history going back a quarter century, and I remember being kind of given these historical textbooks and then being given kind of alternative histories, right? And, and what you very often end up with is kind of an official authoritative narrative, which is, you know, very unidimensional, right? Usually it's political. You know, it's the history of a political system or the history of borders or something like that. And then you get these commentaries after the fact, and you're supposed to kind of take the commentaries and you're, you're somehow, as a student of history, you're supposed to kind of figure out how do they apply to the official history which you received in your first days as a student. So what we're trying to do instead is, is, is offer both at the same time, right? This idea of narratives or histories in dialogue with one another all the way through so that you come out of it understanding that each and every question in the contemporary history has a kind of richness to it and a multidimensionality. And that's why if you even take, you know, Misha's and my chapter at the end of the book on democracy, which, you know, I'm comfortable that we ended the book with a chapter on democracy, that it is in itself not a conclusive statement on Ukrainian democracy. But that's not the only chapter that addresses questions of democracy, right? Those are woven throughout all of the other chapters. This is what I mean by kind of narratives and dialogue. Misha's and my writing is not the last word on democracy in Ukraine.
1: Yeah, just uh, well, uh, it's not—it's it's really not conclusive, uh, taking into account the developments uh, in the last thirty years. So, uh, it's uh, probably opening. Uh, this chapter would be opening for the next volume, or for the next uh, for the next tries, next efforts. Uh, I would also add that uh, at the beginning, when we started this enterprise, the idea was to well, initially the idea was to. Presents some kind of purely uh, academic uh, volume written um, for academics. Uh, in in the course of implementation, it turns uh, that it turns to us that we should uh, well slightly adjust it to a broader audience. And uh, in fact, now we believe that it will be uh, at least interesting introductory reading for uh, students, for university students, and for broader uh, audience. Another uh, important aspect of this book is that for us, ourselves, it was a kind of uh, uh, try to uh, to rethink, reconsider, revisit uh, 30 years of uh, Ukrainian independence and uh, to present a kind of, not so much linear narrative, but at but uh, something which would include events, facts, from the, from the last 30 years. Uh, well, so, and this, uh, in this case, I think one of the, this book would be one of the early birds in the, in, in the, in the area of other undertakings which would take, uh, which would commence or already happening somewhere else. So... Uh, I hope that, uh, I, I think that it's already published, Misha. Yes, is it correct that it's already in print? So uh, I didn't receive yet the copy, but uh, it is, it's it started, starting circulating. We, uh, we expect, uh, well, we expect reviews, and I'm sure that reviews would be very different, particularly because uh, of the philosophy of this volume uh, that we included uh, people, scholars, uh, not just for different countries. And as Matt mentioned, also with different uh, approaches, methodological approaches, different political views, uh, different outlooks. So, and uh, well, politics, it should be something kind of challenging reading for many people. And uh, I think that as as many people we have in this volume, with as many views we have in this volume, as many different reactions we would expect on it.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you, thank you so much Yes, as you uh, noted The book uh, specifically covers uh, 30 uh, years However, there are references To the past and even the title itself uh, Triggers this uh, me- Some memory of the past And uh, uh, Triggers how Ukraine was perceived uh, Before uh, it um, Gained its independence So um, I would like you to share Your um, ideas On how the perception of Ukraine changed over the last 30 years,
1: well, uh, it's it's well to a certain extent it reflected in the title of the book. Uh, at the beginning of 90s, uh, well, that was a uh, well a uh, widely accepted practice to write the Ukraine, and then uh, well, it's just this the disappeared, uh, probably due to a uh, certain uh, effort or due to natural reasons but uh, in, in any case uh, uh, Ukraine now uh, presented in this book uh, for, for instance as a uh, as an actor uh, as a sovereign actor of history so and that was one of the ideas of this book just underlying ideas so this is probably the most important uh, uh, change in perception that Ukraine now considered by the world as a as a sovereign actor. Well, you know that sovereignty is a, uh, well, to a certain extent is a relative uh, concept, but generally you understand that, uh, well, 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 Ukraine is not the Ukraine now.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Mikhailo? Um... If I
4: could, yeah, if I could jump in on that, um, and and then we'll save the the final word for, for Misha. Um, I just would say, now, look, my view of the title was always that it is meant to be a little bit cheeky and a little bit provocative. I mean, there's nothing particularly profound about, you know, removing or adding the article. I know that people can get into kind of endless loops of, of discussion of this. You know, so many people do it uh, or say it unintentionally. Right. Just as people make all kinds of kind of mental slips, that um, that was sort of the point. Right. Was to put this in the title and ask and ask the question what in fact actually has changed well read the book read the book if you want to understand you know sort of the essence of real change that's that's one point the second point um you know a little bit to what georgia Georgi has just said you know i was one of those who was uh you know teaching uh the history of ukraine and, and contemporary politics of ukraine before 2013 and I remember it was often the case that we would ask the question, you know, what has been the achievement of what at that time, of course, was was only twenty years uh, of independent Ukraine? You know, what what matters about it? And I actually wrote uh, an article to this effect. Uh, I want to say around 2011 or 2012, uh, in which the, the main point was: well, what matters is that Ukraine now has subjecthood, right? That it is the subject of the sentence and not the object. And I think that's very central. Uh, But it's also not unidirectional, because if you think about Ukraine, for example, in the late Soviet era, as a kind of counterpoint to Moscow, right? There was the sort of Moscow narrative, and then, oh, there was what was happening in Soviet Ukraine. There was pressure against the center. There was pressure against the system. Um, And you think of maybe the early 90s as the apotheosis of that. So it, it ended in the independence of Ukraine and the emergence of this new country. And then you had a period where for a decade or a couple of decades, despite all of the problems, you could say what I said in that article, which is at least Ukraine has been independent. It has had subject to um, it. I think one of the challenges today is that increasingly in this dire state of fighting for its survival, fighting for its territorial integrity, fighting, one could say, for its democracy, um, a lot of the narrative about Ukraine, including from Ukrainians themselves, including from very prominent Ukrainians, has slipped back into the mode Of only being a counterpoint to Moscow, or being overwhelmingly a counterpoint to Moscow, and I think that's that's something else that this book pushes back on by saying, yes, of course there is the narrative of the war. Of course, that's that's an important narrative, but that's not the history of 30 years, right? There is a story of Ukraine. There are stories of Ukraine uh, which which come from Ukrainians as the subject, as opposed to Ukrainians as you know either the object or somehow as the opposite of. Of of Russia, you know this. This is not Kuchma's book. Ukraine is not Russia. Mm
3: -hmm. Well, and I would like also to to stress that this book is dedicated to the experience, social experience of a new society. So, and this novelty is interesting. It's intriguing what was happening there. Because when you say Ukraine, it's either war or revolutions by dance. Okay, so what else is happening in Ukraine? and why Ukraine is an agency and has an agency, only because it fights or because there are big uh, political events. And then if you look at uh, this second, third, and the fourth chapter, there you have the history of return of capitalism and how differently it can be described and how differently it can be experienced. So in the second chapter, we have uh, Timofee Milovanov and uh, Ilona Salagub describing how the private sector is appearing. So basically, in 1991, we have a huge redivision of all our sphere of conduct into public and private spheres. And public was invented recently, and how Ukrainians invented it for themselves. So here comes capitalism, but here comes corruption. Here comes uh, this public-private relationships, and it's important. Or Yulia Yurchenko, Pavlo Kutuyev, Maxim Yenin, and Gennady Koržov, they were describing uh, how the social inequality appears. So experience of poverty and richness. It's something new. For several generations, it was kind of missing in the culture, and it's back, and what was happening with us. And then energy sector. We we now discuss a lot energy, but uh, the the long story of it is usually unknown. And here, Margarita Balmaseda and Andrian Prokip provide you with the story, and suddenly you understand how multilateral and complex is all that history. So, in a way, the the book is well. It's I don't want to avoid pompous expressions, but. I think, in a way, it, it's an encyclopedia of contemporary Ukraine. <laughs> Modest, humble, but with a lot of information. And this is why, in, in the end, we asked every author to conduct a list of 10 uh, important further readings, important literature, so that the wider audience or students who study Ukraine in the United States or in the United Kingdom, they, they could uh, move on already by having certain framework, already understanding the experience of these 30 years and then uh, go deeper into an issue or another.
0: slash NBN50 to get 50% off.
2: Um, You all mentioned uh, revolutions that took place in uh, uh, Ukraine since uh, the 1990s. Uh, And to some extent, all of them were similar, and to some extent, all of them were different from each other. Um, Unfortunately, yes, like you pointed out, Ukraine is not only about wars and revolutions, but unfortunately, that's how... Ukraine became known to the international communities. And I would like you uh, to share your thoughts on these revolutions in Ukraine, how they're different and how they're similar.
1: Uh, no, well, just uh, I would say that, uh, well, we have a concept, different concepts of revolution, what what revolution is. Uh, we have a views uh, like uh, Stanislav Kurchitsky, he wrote a, a book about, say, revolution of 1991, saying that uh, uh, the solution of the Soviet Union was a revolution, and it was also a Ukrainian revolution. We had a revolution on granite uh, in, in 1990. Then there was a uh, invisible revolution of 1000, when uh, there was a split in the parliament, and uh, it was called as Velvet Revolution. Then it was uh, an unfinished revolution of 1001, was. Uh, the movement against Kuchma, and then 2004, which was called Revolution, and then 2014, Revolution of Dignity. So we're very rich of revolutions. Uh, the only problem is that we didn't have real revolutions there, probably with some exceptions. Like '91. yes, it might be considered as a revolution because there was a real shift uh, in, in, in all spheres of, of life. But generally, when uh, Ukraine, uh, when when we hear here Ukraine and revolution, it's orange revolution and revolution of dignity. So, uh, well, I myself uh, is well quite skeptical about the term revolution. I prefer to call orange revolution electoral protests and uh, revolution of dignity uh, a, a revolt. Uh, so uh, generally, uh, well, it is a pity, uh, generally if we have revolution or we have all this uh, praise for revolution, it means that our citizens do not have any other channels to, uh, to reach their goals and the goals of democratic society. There is also uh, a concept of uh, peaceful revolution of 2019, the electoral revolution when Zelensky came to power. So that also might be considered as a kind of uh, well, revolution. So generally, uh, and another final point about revolutions, and this book is exactly about this, uh, picking out what Matt said about that Ukraine versus Russia, not just, not just versus Russia. We have a number of neighbors, we have a broader world, so we should not reduce this to, to well, of course, we have the problem with Russia now, but generally it's not only Russia which exists in the outer world. And another important aspect of this book um, in particular is uh, that we have not just Ukraine versus other in terms of other countries, other world, other blocks, other uh, big, uh, uh, big entities. We also have, according to this book, Ukraine versus Ukraine. We have different Ukraines within Ukraine, and this book is also about this. Uh, either it is chapter on identity or religion, or uh, economics or uh, social life or politics. We have Ukraines versus Ukraines. So we have internal strives, internal contradictions, and uh, a lot of things which should be considered by any student of Ukraine if he or she wants to uh, to
4: understand this country adequately. If I say so on, on your original question about revolution, Natalia. So um, again, as a student of history, you know, um, I am ceaselessly um, amazed by how the, the narrative of revolution, uh, it becomes instrumentalized. So because revolution can be a useful word or sometimes a scary word for politics, it becomes a political work. So, in actual fact, you know, if you go back to the nineteenth century, there is as much social and economic, um, even ethical, content to revolution to the idea of revolution as there is political. Right. So, political regime is, in a sense, only incidental to the central revolution. Right. The central kind of you can't see my hand gesture, but you know, sort of the turning of the wheel, if you will, of the human experience. And so, I think one of the values of Uh, This type of narrative, which explicitly puts or these narratives, which explicitly put, um, you know, the social and economic experience, uh, the the artistic and cultural experience, um, you know, other dimensions of of economic like energy, et cetera, you know, into the the arc of a revolution, if you want to call it that, uh, is that you are not only bound to political change as your device for describing what is revolutionary about Ukraine or the new Ukraine, if you want to call it that. Because I think, frankly, I think one of the things that's revolutionary is the relationship between money, power, you know, instruments of the state, et cetera, in in modern Ukraine. I think Ukraine has established a very significant paradigm for how those things work. People use the O word, oligarch as a kind of shorthand for that. That's revolutionary, right? I mean, that doesn't mean that it's never happened in human history, but it's not the way things were 30 years ago. And it may not be the way things are 30 years from now. So again, I would, but I would say that that is not necessarily first political in its character. It's economic, it's social, it's kind of all encompassing. And when you you see the Pinchuk Art Center in the very middle of kiev well you know it's also about art and culture isn't it
3: well and uh, i would like to to say that from philosophical point of view revolution is the time and space of new beginnings of new unprecedented beginnings and of course from that point of view 1991 is the revolutionary moment for ukraine and ukraine is itself a product of that revolution but then, uh, and Matt and I describe it in our chapter. Ukraine has gone through two full revolutionary cycles, from the promise of freedom for, for, in, in politics, in uh, also in economy, and then to the momentum of disorientation, authoritarian uh, attempts, and then new revolt, new change of government, uh, new change of regime, and another one. So between '91 and. 2004 between 2005 and 2013 there were two full cycles and uh, the the mystery and the question remains if the third uh, if the third cycle is in place have ukraine broken this non evolutionary uh, development cyclic development or not did the war factor uh, actually play this important Uh, role in changing the pattern of development. It's uh, still not clear up until today that there's a debate uh, among philosophers, historians, and sociologists on this. But we raise this issue. So two cycles are in the past. Are we evolving or are we just reaching out for the new revolutionary moment? And Then I would like to pick up to, to, to what Georgi said about uh, absence of revolutionary change. Usually a revolutionary event is divided into three factors or three new The first one is the, the event itself, so, uh, protests, clashes, change of government. But the, the second part is the revolutionary outcome. What have changed? Did the political system or economic or social system change or not? And the third one is the uh, revolutionary myth. And with the change, we always have problem. After 2004, system seems to uh, remain unchanged. Uh, oligarchic system remained after 2014. However, the myth was created in the both uh, cases. In 2004-05, you remember there was even museum of Orange Revolution. There was order of orange revolution and then there's a myth of um euromaidan or revolution of dignity so in a way we have different uh, uh, elements of revolution in place except for the revolutionary change at least recently uh,
2: i have two follow-up questions um One of them uh, will be about uh, Russia and the current relations between Ukraine and Russia and another one will be on the memory politics in Ukraine today. But I will start with the uh, question about uh, the um, uh, Ukrainian-Russian relations today. when I talk to uh, uh, people about the events, there is always this issue about terminology. Uh, what, How we describe the uh, current uh, situation. Uh, at some point, we were using words like or terms like conflict. Uh, some are quite dissatisfied with this term, and they change it into aggression. Uh, in terms of uh, Crimea, at the beginning, uh, it looked like we unanimously accepted the term annexation, uh, but uh, recently Annexation changed into occupation of uh, Crimea as well as well as in uh, Donbas. So uh, I'm wondering uh, if you could briefly describe how you positioned uh, your volume in terms of the current um, Ukrainian-Russian relations.
4: I mean, I can I can just jump in and say that the there there are, some of this is a technical question, right? You know, you go with a publisher and a publisher has a whole oh. style guide and you have to kind of defer to the publisher's style guide. Uh, you know, similarly, the Woodrow Wilson Center is a U.S. government, uh, congressionally chartered federal institution. So for the most part, I think that those are good things. I, I think that the way that they treat kind of uh, controversial nuances of language is is pretty consistent and is, is pretty good. Um, to the extent that there's an editorial bias, at least on my part, I think it's always in favor of, you know, deferring to what the, the, the the sort of official uh preference of the country in question is so if you know the ukrainian state says this is how we spell kiev right you know it's not k-i-e-v it's k-y-i-v then the answer is that's how you spell kiev right it's fairly simple um it is of course true that there are there are publications out there that you know nonetheless produce uh perfectly good uh scholarship or journalistic content that refuse to follow those rules that have their own ideas um but i You know, as a general rule, I would I would I would argue against um, kind of paying overly much attention to these superficial things. And that's what I meant about the cheekiness of the title. Right. I I know I myself just committed this uh, committed this fallacy earlier in the conversation by referring to Kuchma's book as, you know, you know, Russia is not uh, Ukraine is not Russia, uh, but solely by the title. Right. As if to symbolize everything with the title. But actually, the point of our title was to say that there's so much more than the appearance or disappearance of an article. Um, so again, I think I think the style guide and editorial is is fairly good. I feel good about where where we are with this volume, but it is not intended in and of itself to be kind of in, in place of content. Well, we have very uh, different
1: positions and different perceptions and different interpretations of. Uh, How to present it, uh, it depends on authors. Uh, We have a a number of, uh, a lot of authors and, uh, well, they might have their own uh, perception and uh, way of presentation. Uh, We also can say that uh, there is official position of Ukraine about Donbas, about Crimea, uh, that it's occupied territory, so uh, if to follow official, uh, official speech, uh official discourse uh, we can say yes it's a cop- occupation if we speak about process and results yes it's annexation so i would i would join the 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 point of view that it uh, depends on 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 the way of presentation of this uh, in ukraine it is quite sensitive topic now because uh, we have this internal divisions not just a uh, social or regional also political and uh, we also have a kind of uh, uh, censorship uh, when, uh, for instance, if you use uh, the concept of civil war, uh, speaking about Donbas, it's very much unwelcomed. And uh, if you would recognize that there are features of civil conflict there, if you would say that there are people with Ukrainian citizenship who fight against U- people with Ukrainian citizenship and will say that, it would say that it is civic conflict or civil war, then you might be ostracized. So, uh, um, so um, um, well, people can, can do this uh, in academic discussions, but when you speak publicly, then it is it becomes very sensitive. And another point here, of course, uh, when you uh, speak about Ukrainian-Russian relations Uh, Then we have this kind of uh, uh, common approach that's, well, that Russia consider it as a kind of single actor with with no differences within Russia. But when we talk, when we discuss Russian uh, politics, There are a lot of people there in Russia who do not accept uh, neither occupation or annexation, those people who do not support Putin, those people who are in open or in hidden opposition, etc. So it is very important to understand when we write about something about Ukraine, first of all, about multiplicity of different choices within Ukraine and about multiplicities of different concepts regarding the neighbors, including, of course, Russia.
3: Well, and in addition, in most of the chapters, you can see how the conflict, the war, the loss of control over the territories due to aggression and occupation and annexation, uh, how it's been perceived and uh, how it became part of Ukrainian social experience. That uh, that was the major issue for, for us. For example, in um, a chapter on Ukrainian contemporary art, authors show how it's, how it became an event that inspires a lot of uh, artists today that's the the experience that should be expressed or uh, how it makes an impact on the religious sphere, how three Romes now became uh, they, they have their own representation one kiev so all all these aspects. Uh, not not political, but rather experience of contemporary nation is there. And that's very important because these games with the language, they also are very toxic in a way because they, they try to control how you think, how you speak, and put in some paranoia. But while you work with experience and with social experience, you bring some therapy. And this book is part of this overarching
2: process of therapy Mm -hmm. Uh, i have this second question about the memory politics and Georgi. you earlier mentioned that uh, we should also pay attention to the fact that there are different ukraines in ukraine and uh, on the one hand i also believe that um, we should uh, probably carefully spelled out what we mean by different Ukraines in Ukraine. On the other hand, um, it's some sort of a uh, tradition, uh, political and cultural and historical p- p- tradition in Ukraine when we talk about either d- different regional peculiarities or political peculiar uh, peculiarities and so on and so forth. But my question is about the current uh, memory politics and to what extent it is accommodating uh, towards this idea of different Ukraines in Ukraine. Oh, okay.
1: Uh, well, I uh, I think that's uh, uh, well. Once again, we can say uh, when we when we discuss the memory politics, we again can uh, can discuss the Ukraine versus Ukraine, or Ukraines web versus Ukraines. Uh, I once in the, in the past I even had a an idea to write a book. Uh, under the title "History of Ukraines," in plural, uh, and this is um, this is really challenging, uh, particularly in uh, in the in in the light of uh, of uh, recent developments in the world. Uh, y- you see that it's tendency everywhere now to use, misuse, and abuse the uh, memory issues and uh, to introduce to, to them into very different uh, fields of politics including even, <laughs> including U.S., where, uh, so I, I, I was sure that, uh, that it is not the issue for, for Americans, and it was then so much heavily instrumentalized in the last five years. Uh, so, um, Ukraine, it is, well, it is a particularly keen issue, and uh, we have a, yes, you have mentioned that we have different historical traditions, different, uh, different uh, legacies, and these different legacies are still alive, first of all. And second, it is very important that these legacies are cherished or uh, cultivated by uh, different political actors. and they get symbolical capital, and they also get a uh, uh, not very much symbolical, very material capital when having uh, uh, exploiting uh, this issue. So it is uh, it is really hot. Uh, Well, yesterday we had a a certain date. Uh, So, uh, and once again, as as always on 9th of May, some small scandals, some different different approaches, some different versions of the past. And of course, it is also the the, the neighbors really heavily involved into this. Russia first, then Poland. We also have real controversies with Poland, while our, our other neighbors also have controversies between them. So uh, it, it is a really hot issue, and uh, it probably deserves a separate, uh, separate volume, sometimes in the future. Uh, but generally, yes, that that uh, we, we didn't pay this uh, well special attention to this issue in the volume. It should be there, of course. It is some, somehow reflected in the identity chapter, but generally. Uh, yeah, well, that, that's probably a small gap in the book. That's, uh, well, probably we will do something in the future.
3: I would like to add here that we still have different stories and different memories, but not in terms of regional memories, but in terms of uh, social groups memories, class memories. If you look, um, for example, two chapters, one chapter is written about privatization from neoliberal perspective, and the uh, another one about social history from social democratic perspective, and then you see uh, very very much differently how how the same events or same decisions, same laws uh, are described from different points of view. And for the class of private owners or private entrepreneurs, there are very bright events uh, in the past of Ukraine. However. Um, the, the working class or the, the rural population may remember same events or same laws as a disaster, as uh, something that, that kind of diminished their freedoms, their income, and so on. So in a way, uh, if we, we indeed do not discuss the memory issues here, but we have this presence of different memories in different groups also uh, for the contemporary art so there are three periods and each of them described in a different way with different distance so here you see somewhere there's a crystallized memory memory in process of being crystallized it's something very fresh this art during the war after the revolution so it's Something uh, even described recently. So here you can see the laboratory of memory, how
4: it's being coined. If I can, Natalia, if I have a moment, I just want to really uh, recommend the Mikheyeva and Shevel chapter on identity because uh, I think it's a fantastic chapter. I mean, Georg is right. We could do much more. We could do a whole volume. Uh, But there's a line here that I think is um, a wonderful example of kind of multiple narratives and dialogue. Uh, The process of transition from peace to war, starting in 2014, pushed the average person to rethink their national identity, to build new distances and criteria for distinguishing between themselves and the others, us and them, and to reset the boundaries and conditions of interaction. The, The point of this line is that almost every narrative about identity starts from the premise that you have identity, and then you have conflict because you have warring identities and this flips it on its head. It says you have conflict, you have war, or you have a process of going from peace to war. And this is creating identity. And there's a very deep insight in that. So I I just want to recommend the chapter if you're interested in those questions.
2: Just uh, one more uh, question concerning um, identity and concerning history of Ukraine as well. Very often, this uh, description of Ukraine comes up uh, in academic uh, publications uh, contested, uh, would you agree that this is the uh, accurate way to describe uh, Ukraine as a political entity, as a historical entity, that there are a lot of contestations with which um, we have to deal with? Because on the other uh, hand, there is a... uh, Um, suggestion to look at these contestations in terms of multidirectionality and I think that it somehow resonates with the approach of your book uh, where you uh, suggest uh, multiple views on uh, issues.
3: Well, I I would say that there is some resonance in um, all the chapters. So all nine chapters resonate with each other. There are some events like the beginning of independence, Orange Revolution, uh Euromaidan they are there and they are important landmarks however yes uh, it's definitely a very diverse uh, society Well Ukraine is diverse but it's also the historiography the way we approach Ukraine is very diverse if you look 30 years ago what was Ukraine uh, as a subject of study literature language and history and then, if you look today, it's it's so many different subjects in energy security, in uh, military history, in diplomacy, in, in uh, political science, in sociology, in value studies. So suddenly, you see Ukraine everywhere as important part of contemporary global landscape. So this is where the, uh, the uh, this article, definite article the, was dropped. And th- this is, I, I think, the, the the best result of uh, both Ukraine's development and Ukrainian studies' development.
4: Yeah, I, I might just quickly add to, to what Misha said, that, uh, you know, I'm generally not a fan of uh, the academic um, or the, the kind of... Um, the volume of scholarly data that has been suddenly produced in the wake of the war that started in 2014, because I think a lot of it is, you know, not of great quality, right? It's kind of outcome uh, oriented rather than, you know, uh, driven by by long uh, knowledge and expertise. But that said, uh, you increasingly see data from Ukraine in global data sets. I mean, that has been a big change in the last decade. And for those of us who have always been paying attention to Ukraine, this is really satisfying. Um, This is is a good thing. But I think it will take longer. I think it will take probably another decade before we begin to see the normalization of Ukraine as one of the large European, uh, you know, sort of case studies for a number of different academic disciplines.
2: Uh, My final question will be about, well, uh, I think you already touched upon this a little bit, uh, the... uh... Um, most important achievement of Ukraine um, since uh, it gained uh, independence? Um, just maybe a sentence or just a word.
3: Well, I would say uh, that for me, the, the status of agency, that was something very, very important. 30 years is, you know, there's a adolescent time in the past, there's youth in the, is in the past. And it's the beginning of maturity. And here the the mature post-Soviet nation in a very difficult region in times of growing divisions. And here Ukraine needs maturity and wisdom. And I think what we show in the book, it's becoming that.
1: Yes, I I would, well, I think that we uh we uh answered this question several times already uh, in, uh, in uh, other th- in other interviews so yes ukraine exists as a as a agency it exists for 30 years it's uh unprecedented uh fact that uh, ukraine exists for for a so long time it's a very short time in fact but generally uh there was no uh, there were no uh other cases in history when ukraine existed for 30 years and it's, it's a very different world ukraine and the ukraine uh, exists in a in a changing world and ukraine also changes and uh, it is interesting when we when we live here and we are uh, accustomed to what is going on here we're tired of everything of of corruption of uh, of instability, of, of of a lot of things, but generally, if you observe it, uh, well, some, from some kind of distance, you can see that there is a lot of great changes in this country, and uh, it, it is also a kind of uh, a kind of result. Again, one of this result is that results is that Ukraine is the part of the world as a agency, and it is a part of greater world is included in this graded world. It is not isolated as it was during the Soviet times.
4: I am obviously biased. Uh, We wrote the chapter on democracy, but I think it's democracy. And democracy enables things we have seen that we could not have imagined, good things. Um, But also, of course, it is vulnerable to some of the bad things that... uh, you know, we see in the United States as well, it, it's harder to solve certain problems when you're subject to the forces of democratic politics, right? You can't just decide by will and enforce by power. Uh, you're more subject to disinformation. You know, this has been, I would say, the curse of, of Ukraine's democracy for a long time. Uh, and of course, as as Georgi points out, when you have democracy, you have the chance for people to become indifferent or dissatisfied or angry. Uh, and, and that can be as much uh, a negative force as a positive force. Sometimes it can bring change. But uh, for sure, to me, it's democracy. In 30 years, basically, of democracies is an incredibly important story. Okay.
2: Well, thank you so much for this conversation today. And again, I congratulations on this wonderful volume that offers a multi-layered vision on the um, history of uh, Ukraine. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.
4: Thank you. Thanks, Natalia. Thank
2: Today I spoke with uh, Mikhailo Minakov, Georgi Kasyanov, uh, and uh, Matt Rojansky about the edited volume from the Ukraine to Ukraine, a contemporary history, 1991-2021, published by Verlag Stuttgart in 2021. Thank you for listening to New Books in East European Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network.